Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. The Harvard, Harvard University announced that Dr. Claudine Gay will at least at this time remain as the president of Harvard University. As members of the Harvard Corporation, we today reaffirm our support for President Gay's continued leadership of Harvard University. Our extensive deliberations affirm our confidence that President Gay is the right leader to help our community heal and to address the very serious societal issues we are facing. This is what the board said in a statement signed by the college's fellows, according to NBC News. President Gay has apologized for how she handled her congressional testimony and has committed to redoubling the university's fight against anti-Semitism. I certainly hope that that also includes fight against all of uh, the uh, things that people can be uh, guilty of, including racism and sexism and uh, all those isms that we all uh, fight on a regular basis. But it looks as though As for right now, despite the efforts to oust her, Dr. Claudine Gay will remain the president of Harvard University. And now we can introduce someone who knows the academic world well. He is the former Jackson State University professor, scholar, writer, poet, author. He does it all. He's a Renaissance man. And his name is Celie McInnes. And he is here to bring us some Southern cooking. See, Lee, how are you doing today? Look here, I'm, I'm doing well, but before we get started, let me, let me, one quick thing now with that. Well, the president of Harvard, what's her first name? Claudine. Man, did y'all really think a black woman named Claudine was just going to back down? <laughs> did you really think a black woman named Claudine wasn't going to say, I said what I said, and that's what I said. That's all I did. If you, if you surprised, if you waiting on Claudine to step down, then as my grandmama used to say, hold your breath and see what happened. Now, we move on or whatever. <laughs> I don't want well, to put that out there. I mean, there is still an enormous amount of uh, of uh, uh, resistance toward Dr. Gay's continued tenure at Harvard University based on the congressional hearings and some other things. So we shall see what happens. But it appears that right now, uh, the board has met and they have agreed to support her, at least in the immediate future. So that is good news for her and hopefully good news for Harvard University because of her work with uh, 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 diversity and inclusion. But now you being an HBCU professor and uh, being closely associated with Jackson State for so many years, you already know. Uh, the diversity and inclusion is something that should really be by right uh, in my mind. But aside from that, uh, I know that you are also looking forward to the holiday season. And uh, tell us a little bit about how you'll be celebrating. Well, actually, I'm I'm I, I'm not necessarily looking forward to the holiday season. I actually don't celebrate holidays or birthdays. Mm. But I do have one hypocrisy and then one thing. So my hypocrisy is. Despite the fact that I don't celebrate holidays or birthdays, I do like Christmas music. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I like Christmas songs, right? Now, but to be honest, the reason I like Christmas songs is because I've always been intrigued in the manner in which various artists have used Christmas songs as a way to make cultural and aesthetic statements, 
right? When the temptations sing, quote, if I had one wish, it would be that all men are free, end quote, in their version of Silent Night. We realize that they are not just making music that sounds good. And when the great Stevie Wonder sings, quote, someday at Christmas, men won't be bored playing with bombs like children play with toys, end quote, in his song, Someday at Christmas, we realize that Stevie Wonder is asserting that the artist has a responsibility to create art that moves the audience to be better regardless of the topic or the equation. And then leave it to even somebody like a band called The Kinks to have a Christmas song, Father Christmas, that rivals Dostoevsky's short story, Heavenly Christmas Tree, in exposing human hypocrisy in the gap between humanity's ideology of peace on earth and goodwill toward men while revel in abundance as others remain homeless. We realize that the kinks are creating from the same vibe as James Brown's Santa Claus go straight to the ghetto when they sing, quote, Father Christmas, give us some money. Don't mess around with those silly toys, but give my daddy a job because he needs one. He's got lots of mouths to feed, but if you've got one, I'll take a machine gun so I can scare all the kids down the street, end quote. Whether it's Stevie Wonder or The Temptations or James Brown or The Kinks, uh, as conscious artists, they are exemplifying W.E.B. Du Bois' notion that all artists propaganda and using their work as a call and challenge for humanity to live by the ideals, right, and the sensibilities that they proclaim. And I think Christmas, using Christmas and Christmas songs in a time when we're all supposed to be in the spirit and joyous. So I've always enjoyed the way various artists use Christmas songs to make a social, political, and aesthetic statement, despite the fact that I don't celebrate uh, holidays at all. So yeah, I admit to being a little hypocritical in that. Well, so what's your takeaway with Backdoor Santa? <laughs> I mean, you can't have a Christmas without backdoor Santa. And again, I give all the little boys money to go to the movies so that Santa can be alone with mom. Come on, Matt, Matt. Come on. Matt. You know what? I was doing, I was talking about sexy Christmas songs. And you know, the thing is, see, Lee, as a scholar, so you can find the deeper meaning in all of those things. But me, I'm just looking for Santa to leave the sable under the tree, like Eartha Kitt said in uh, Santa Baby. I ain't mad at you or Eartha Kitt. <laughs> but it can pay for the search. Earth just need a little searching money. She Hello. needs a walking around money. And my boy said, and, and uh, coming, when it coming to America, a uh, said, you can't take my walking around money. So, but I think that all of those really get at the fact that we are thinking about what these things mean to everybody culturally. And when you are thinking about it from that way, when I'm listening to Christmas songs, even if it's something, you know, playful like an Earth Kid or playful like a Clarence, uh, kind of, you know, back those sound and all these different uh, uh, please come on for Christmas and, you know, Merry Christmas, babe, and all these. Right. It really is people kind of putting their table at the their, their chair at the table and saying we want to be recognized as a part of this American tapestry since you force us to be here as labor anyway, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it does. And, you know, it's interesting because some Christmas songs, I think, have a mournful side to them. I always think that uh, Merry Christmas to you as done by Frank Sinatra. And uh, today is his birthday. 
and uh, the Tony Braxton version of that song, they always just seem so mournful. So there's a part of the holiday that is celebratory, but there's also part of the holiday where people are yearning for loved ones that they are no longer maybe close to. And then there's the part of the holiday that, you know, if you're by yourself or you don't have family or if you're away from loved ones. So it's really kind of a dichotomy when it comes to Christmas music. And of course we know Prince made one of the most, you know, saddest Christmas songs that anybody could have ever made. Look here, I was 15 years old listening to B-Sides. See, some of y'all don't know about the B-Sides. You got to be a real Prince fan. See, sister, you know about them B-Sides. I done flipped over the, the, the 45 to listen to that B-Side. And be like, okay, that's kind of sad. That's kind of mellow. Wait, did he say she died? Wait, 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 wait. Did she... I, I drink for the vanilla diamonds because you died. Whoa, 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 I'm 15. Right. I'm not ready for she died on Christmas Day. But I think it speaks to your point that we tend to forget that not just the holidays, but you combine winter with the holidays, right? People have what's called seasonal depression. Right. And the holidays bring forth even more of that seasonal depression. So I think that these songs are, are really great. And letting us know what's the other song? What do the lonely do for Christmas? Right, that's right. And, you know that, that that's one. And I gotta add that because I realized I didn't have that one on this. I gotta add what do the lonely do for Christmas? So I think that all these songs are again a cultural response to saying, look, there's so much happening with the with these particular holidays and these particular things that people we have to. And I think that people should get out of their comfort zone. And I'm mm. glad you mentioned Frank Sinatra and those kind of things. I think that the one thing that Christmas songs do is that it makes it easier for most folks to get beyond their comfort zone. And they may listen to an artist, right, that they may not know, right? A lot of people don't know Nat King Cole, but they know his songs. Right. And so, like you said, so it'll, they'll listen to that. So this person can then inject just a little social political thing into it. And then the whole question of what makes a Christmas song a Christmas song, right? His favorite things really a Christmas song. I think it is. I like my favorite things. I think that's a great song. But, but I, I, if you notice, I tend to uh, come down on the more material side of Christmas. That's probably a, a, an internal flaw that I need to work on. <laughs> but... well, no, no, it's, it's not an internal flaw. It's also, <laughs> like, what, what does Jane Brown say in Santa Claus Go Straight to the Ghetto? He's, he names out children to take them some toys. I mean, when you have been the oppressed or the less than, and you see everybody else getting and everybody else benefiting from the fruits off of your labor, right? Off of your parents' labor, right? I think it's only natural to create art around this thing, around this so-called holiday, that it speaks to the fact that there are so many people who have been deprived, so many people who have been shut out of the dream, that our dream has been a nightmare, that it is only natural to say, let me get some of the fruits. Right. Let me get some of that's on the table. So I don't think it's, it's necessarily wrong to come down on that, especially when you've also mentioned that, hey, I know all these Christmas songs. I just want to make sure that the ones that are speaking to certain things are also added at the table. And I think that that expands the conversation around what should we really be doing for this holiday? Right. right? Rather and than commercializing it and spending money and getting drunk and doing all these other things. 
And as a, and, and you know, I think uh, when you look at it, that uh, Christmas in Hollis by Run DMC, that's kind of that yeah. uh, sister song to uh, Santa Claus Come Straight to the Ghetto, because they're really talking about kind of the same thing, the yearning that the holiday spirit in the holiday season comes to everybody, even those that can't always afford the more material aspects of it. Now, I know you also, uh, even though you don't really celebrate holidays, you do have some uh, uh, acquaintance with Kwanzaa as something that you do uh, work with uh, some people who put on a Kwanzaa celebration down there in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. So my pops taught me to execute Kwanzaa as an evaluative ritual rather than a holiday. Mm -hmm. So that's how I engage it. I'm dedicated to following or manifesting Kwanzaa seven principles in my life, right? Unity, self-determination, collective work and responsibility, cooperative economics, purpose, creativity, and faith. If more black folks practice these seven principles, our lives and sovereignty would increase exponentially. Mm. So I take a moment at the end of the year to evaluate if I've lived by those seven principles and to rededicate myself to living by them. But this is no different than what I do every night before I go to bed. Mm. So Sophie, every night before I go to bed, I ask myself three questions. What have I done to improve myself? What have I done to improve my community? And what have I done to improve the world? to keep myself focused on the goal of using writing to make life better. As such, yes, I spent a lot of my life, my 20s and my 30s, now I'm in my 50s, I've coordinated or hosted many Kwanzaa events. Uh, I was particularly, because I was a creative writer, I would host the Night of Kaumba, which is again creativity, and now I co-host a one-night celebration of Kwanzaa with a group called Women for Progress of Mississippi. Once again, Sister P, it's black women leading the charge. What I love about what they do is they celebrate all seven principles in one night. Here's what they do. They celebrate local civil rights, a local civil rights figure and a younger mover and shaker who embody a particular principle. So when they're discussing Kuja um, Shakalia, which is self-determination, they then highlight a civil rights figure who was, who, who, who was representative of self-determination and then they do somebody under 30 who's working in the community now. And so that's why I tell folks that when I embrace, and I don't tell, you know, I tell people, embrace anything how you want to embrace it. Right. But when I'm engaging in Kwanzaa, it's more of an evaluative ritual where I'm asking myself, am I living by these seven principles? Which again, I think if more people in our community live by these principles, we would be more sovereign and we stop begging our oppressors mm. to do something for us that we could do for ourselves. Well, you know what, Celie, there is, I, I can only say that that is a holiday wish that I would like to see come to fruition because, as you said, these Kwanzaa principles, whether or not you have a relationship to Kwanzaa or appreciate the holiday or know the history behind it and have any issues with it, that it's really those principles that are the ones that we should be trying to uphold in our community, particularly when we talk about cooperative uh, uh, economics and, and those kinds of things as we move forward. Because as we are sitting here thinking about what gift we should buy and how we're going to spend money on the, our, this family member or that family member that, you know, if we can pull together uh, collectively, mm -hmm. we can do so much more and, and really continue to evolve and grow uh, opposed to how we are now sometimes where we're looking for people to do for us that we always have within us the ability to do for self. 
And I always think about there's a local activist here in, in Jackson, Mississippi, Brother Lukata. I would pronounce the brother's whole name, but I ain't that point in my swag <laughs> list, so I ain't gonna mess the brother next. And I've known him for years. But Brother Lukata said something, and I never thought about it. He said, Brother Seeley, the issue is that black people actually practice those seven principles. They just don't know it because they don't understand Swahili or Kwanzaa or those African names. Right. So the issue for him was never to convert people to Kwanzaa. The issue for him was to say, hey, you shouldn't be against Kwanzaa because you already know that cooperative economics is a good thing. Right. You already know that faith is a good thing. You already know using your creativity to solve our problems is a good thing. And so one of the things that we that I try to stress and that Brother Bukata and many others try to stress and Women for Progress of Mississippi try to express is that what we're saying is look at these seven principles, manifest them in your own lives and let other black people know who are doing like word radio. It's already manifesting all seven of those principles. You can't show me one principle that word radio isn't already manifesting. And if word radio is manifesting those principles, it means that it is influencing the listeners to manifest those principles. And that's all we're saying about doing is that if you're going to do anything, again, just because I don't celebrate birthdays or holidays, what is the purpose in your being and what is the purpose in your doing? And ask yourself, is my purpose in being and doing to help black people be better today than they were yesterday? Then I think that's something with which we can all embrace and then promote as best as, best as we can. Well, C. Lee, it is always always great to see you. Thanks for returning with some of your Southern cooking. And uh, we look forward to the holiday season and want to wish you, whether you celebrate it or not, a happy holiday season. And we will talk to you soon. Appreciate y'all for having me and I'll see y'all a little later. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com.